What's going on, guys? You're listening to the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. My name is Phil, one of your hosts, and I'm joined with uh, my co-host here, Kalen. What's going on, buddy? Hey, what's up, guys? Kalen here, and uh, happy to be with you for episode number four. Yeah. Um, For those that are just tuning in for the first time uh, in the Modern Day Sniper Podcast, you know, real quick, down and dirty, what is Modern Day Sniper Podcast? You know, this podcast is for the uh, modern day riflemen looking to just find relevant information into the deeper understanding of uh, the art of long range shooting and, you know, hopefully using this information to elevate his craft, whether he's a hunter, a long range competitor, law enforcement sniper or military sniper, or hell, even just a long range enthusiast, you know, and, uh, you know, our goal is to hopefully have that shooter just put mindfulness behind the rifle, one of our, you know, kind of tag taglines. So, yeah, that's the the modern day sniper. And again, if you're new to the podcast, <clears throat> Kalen and I, in uh, episode one, kind of talk about what to ex- what what you're going to expect out of this podcast, and you know, as it as it uh, develops, and then you know, if you just want to find out a little bit more about who Kalen and I are, we've got a uh, episode two and three that kind of just dive into who the uh, who's behind the behind the concept of modern day sniper, and yeah, so. What's up, dude? What are we talking about oh, today? Man. So we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we talked about adding some, uh, some, some more theory and some more, um, you know, technical aspects of things into the podcast after having kind of more three uh, philosophical podcasts, I guess. And so I guess before we get into that, though, what you, what you said, what you said, you know, putting mindfulness behind the rifle. I actually just got um, a comment on the Podbean app of an individual that's asking, can you help me understand what is mindfulness behind the rifle? What does that mean? And I guess uh, I'm glad that he asked that because it's something that we've got to define and we got to discuss. And I think that putting mindfulness behind the rifle, at least from, from my interpretation of it is, is a, it's keeping, it's, keeping in line with progression, but never forgetting where you came from. And what that means is always be expanding and opening your mind to different ideas and new ways of doing things and don't fall victim to dogmatic approach. Um, we talked about that today as an example in, um, uh, in this course with the Marines that I'm teaching. And we talked about dogma. We talked about just the blind acceptance of things because, Hey, that's just the way it was taught to me. Um, and so that aspect of mindfulness is also getting in touch with like, why do you really participate in this discipline? What are you in it for? Where's your mind? Or, you know, where, where are your intentions? What are you trying to accomplish? And I think keeping in mind with that and being mindful of that will always keep us, you know, forward on the right path, so to speak. So there's your, there's, there's my take on it. Yeah. I, for me, you know, putting mindfulness behind the rifle is just, you know, just lowering your ego, right. 100%. And I, I tell this to guys all the time. It's like what any kind of shooting sport does to us as alpha males, uh, as, as I would say, is it just, it just inflates our egos. Right. And when you have so much ego, you essentially uh, lose the um, willingness to grow and to learn. You know what I mean? So like you said, putting the mindfulness behind the rifle is understanding, okay, in order for me to evolve, I have to, you know, not think in the the 70s or the 60s, okay, work back then. So maybe it's going to continue to work now. Right. And the other part of that is, is also when you actually get a chance to sit with your own ego and truly look at that, it can get kind of uncomfortable at times. And, uh, you know, that doing that really keeps you in check. And, uh, I would highly suggest for, for all of you to really take an honest look at that too, because it's going to open your mind to, to doing things a little differently, uh, having a different perspective. And so, um, keeping, keeping an open mind and, uh, maintaining mindfulness, is a good way to always, you know, stay focused when you set your intentions. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we get too technical with these guys, first, I need to ask, where the heck are you at? Because your background is like... <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Sorry. Um, you got like so, seashells and stuff like that back there. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty awesome Airbnb. Okay. Uh, I don't like staying in... Nice. Uh, so there's a loft up there. And then uh, over here is a full kitchen. Oh, nice. So, I dig it. You know, I've just spent so many freaking nights in hotel rooms, man, that, that like the thought of walking through a hotel room door and going, yep, this is where my home for the next five, six days, that makes me want to fucking vomit. So <laughs> I try to get Airbnbs and, you know, I get to, you know, I can cook and, and uh, maintain a normal semblance of life while I'm on the road. That's awesome. Yeah. So talk to us, uh, talk to us about what you're doing right now. Uh, I know you're doing some training with, uh, with the military. So, yep. We, uh, I got a request to do a course here in uh, Boise from, um, a friend of mine that I've stayed in touch with. Uh, we were, we were in the Marine Corps together. He was the, he was a reconnaissance platoon commander, um, for one of the platoons I deployed with. And, um, his name is Brian Von Herbulus. He has some dudes coming up here from uh, third force recon out of Alabama that uh, needed some some training spin up on their uh, mark 13s that they just got so these guns are brand new uh first issue and most of these guys are uh, members of cody's old platoon and so we're going to teach them how to use their mark 13s and um they brought some they brought their m110s as well so this is kind of like their annual sustainment training for a week cool uh, that's one hell of a uh, training package for sure. I mean, it's pretty cool, man. The range that we have out here is 360 degrees and nice. um, one direction you can shoot out past a mile and uh, it's only like 20 minutes from town. So, and for those that don't know, like that's a, that's a sniper's wet dream in the military because um, for a lot of people that don't know, there's a lot of restrictions and confinements that, uh, you know, uh, military personnel are, are restricted to. Um, and that's a whole nother topic in itself, but yeah. And, and a reason why I enjoy going to competitions and matches and stuff like that, because I mean, we were literally sometimes shooting, like you said, in 360 degree, um, uh, you know, locations and not having to worry about, you know, road guards and whatever, you know, I, I'm obviously confident that, uh, hopefully the match directors thought that out, you know, of, of, uh, is being mindful of where those bullets are going to be impacting. Mm -hmm. So I just show up and I'm like, okay, this is a battlefield that I have to try to figure out. Yeah. This place is awesome. It's, there's like a, it, it's a, a, a riverbed and it's mostly sand out here. And uh, there's a rim around the riverbed and it's the way that it bends with the river. It makes this bowl and it's uh, 360 degrees. Most of the shots are, Oh, between three and 800. And then on the ends of the bowl, the long ways you can shoot out past a mile. So it's going to be a great opportunity for these guys to learn the, um, their new reticles. They've got the T3 reticles and uh, that's something that they wanted to get spun up on specifically um, the, the, the T3 reticle and uh, the speed shooting formula that's in there. So we developed, um, you know, a, a program of instruction that surrounds that and you know it's unfortunate this is a prime example too um you guys out there that that uh, have a uh, the thought process that a military sniper gets an opportunity to shoot all the time and these guys are out here with these brand new mark 13s which is the new 300 wind mag for big marine corps uh it's the mark 13 mod 7 and they're their yearly allocation if is 150 rounds a year of sustainment for that rifle per shooter or per, per rifle per shooter okay so there you go think about that so when i was building this training outline you know um i i built it with the intent of training right so we shoot when when we're training it's nothing to burn 300 rounds a day nothing that's a drop of a hat. And so I, I built that training schedule around that. And when I got the word that we were only going to get, um, 3000 rounds of Mark 248 motto for 10 dudes, it was like, Whoa, okay. We're going to have to re we're going to have to reevaluate how we're going to approach a training. 
So a lot of it's going to be very, very, very slow, methodical, deliberate, very controlled with purpose built drills to reinforce those skills. Uh, Mark 248 mod doe. Yeah. That's a dotic for uh, 300 wind mag ammo for for everyone that's listening. Uh, So, like, um, I'm used to Alpha Alpha 1.1 or M018LRs, what we call it, which is uh, pretty much the 7.62 by 51 millimeter that was standard issueized for Marine snipers, as well as, uh, I mean, I think that's just all NATO. There's also uh, Army snipers, uh, Marine Corps snipers and uh air force anyone that ran pretty much a, a 308 uh was issued that ammo yeah, which is pretty much a 175 grain sierra match king on top of a, a lake city brass yeah sorry guys um also we had some comments um we, we apologize for the acronyms it's just uh we'll do our best now to to catch like phil phil you got me i appreciate it um but we'll do our best to stop ourselves and not use acronyms yeah so, um, cool. No. So, uh, you know, the, usually it's great that you are about to, and, and today was the first day with your class. Yeah, it was uh, day one. <clears throat> um, I don't, we only got a half a day. Um, some of the guys are still traveling and, uh, what I wanted to do was get, get the guns set up and get, um, you know, all their eye relief set and, and comfortable behind the rifle today. But what ended up happening was their, their SL3 kit with that AX chassis, the, the butt pads, it came with all three spacers attached and it didn't come with any shorter screws. So we couldn't take out all those spacers. So which was kind of a bummer, but, um, well, what we did was, uh, just talked about the reticle today then, I was like, all right, cool. we're going to shift gears. Uh, we'll get the reticle stuff handled. We'll get you guys back familiar with your Kestrels. Um, and we will, uh, you know, talk about the math of all this stuff. Get your brains working now, prep for the next four days. And it went, it, I mean, it went good. It's like it, the stuff is not rocket science. And I think um, like we were, we were, we were talking earlier, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're in the business of communication and that's, I, you, you know, I think that's, pretty much sums up what we're trying to accomplish is look we're just here to communicate information that's it and in a way that everybody can understand it shouldn't matter what your personality type is i should be able to connect with you in some way which again goes back to that mindfulness thing being aware of who it is that you're having a conversation with yeah i even wrote that down and uh you know even before we even jumped on this podcast you you and i talked for a little bit uh, but that was one of the things that I, I liked. And so I wrote it down, we're in the business of communication because we really are. And, um, you know, something that we always have to be mindful of when we're teaching is, you know, even though we might seem uh, to us, it's a basic concept because we've been doing this for so long, you know, repetition, repetition, like to us, you know, even though it's basic, it might be still advance for some you know shooters right or or students so you know that's something that kaylin are always you know i think what separates us from other instructors in the industry is that we're always mindful of how uh, we care like we, we talked about a podcast once we care about how our information is delivered to our students and how it's received from our students yeah it's i'm always um we, we do communicate a lot of technical information uh, and a lot of it requires, it requires you to understand a core concept, number one, first, before you move on to number two, because if you don't understand number one, you're surely not going to understand number two. And it's just going to get progressively worse until you're so far behind that your brain is, is your noodles cooked and, and you're not communicating your shutdown. And so what I try to do is break everything up into manageable pieces and very, very systematically. And I try to, I really do try to look at everybody and, and read their facial expressions and try to be like, Hey, yeah, you over there, what's up? You, you look like you got the deer in the headlights kind of look. So let's talk about what's going on in your brain. And that gets people to, to actually say, uh, yeah, man. Um, so about that, and it's important 
because yeah, it's especially like learning a really, especially learning a really super technical skill that most people are very intimidated by. But when you do it all the time and you, you're used to looking at those numbers, you're used to, you know, doing all that stuff in your brain. Um, it's, uh, it's important to be able to connect with your students that way. Yeah. And you're used to interacting with a, a wide variety of students, you know what I mean? With different skill levels. Uh, which kind of you know leads us into what we're going to talk about today, which is uh, rifle setup, right? You know, and um, my question to you, once you got kind of a feel of, you know, who your audience—not really audience, because I know who your audience is—but I guess the uh, the skill level of your audience and their experience level, you know, what kind of experience level on average are you, are you say you're working with? Um, it- in in the grand scheme, uh, and this is not any fault of anybody's, but but very minimal. Meaning, you know, there's a couple of guys that have a lot that have some experience. There's one of the gen, one of the gents in the course was a uh, a sniper school instructor from Second Mardiv. So it's kind of a mixed bag. But I would say the majority, um, you know, they're not regular shooters. They don't shoot on their off time, and they're they're also reconnaissance marines. So this is an ancillary task for them. It's nothing, this is not a dig. This is nothing like that. It's just statement of fact. And so, you know, that was a big part of our conversation kicking things off this morning was I explained that, you know, this is also something that I, that I see a lot in the law enforcement arena. Um, I don't think people understand what it means to be a volunteer. Like when you volunteer to do a job like this, you have a responsibility, an inherent responsibility that means you're going to go above and beyond like the excuse that your department won't buy it for you is only valid for so long before you look at your skills and say man yeah like i'm way behind the power curve like i i can't do half of what some of these people can do with a rifle right now and that's also what i what i told them i said you know you need to get out there and see what's actually capable with a rifle these days and I kind of briefed him on uh, a simple, uh, common stage that we would see at a shooting competition. You know, I was like, yeah, 12 inch plate at 700 yards from the kneeling position in three different kneeling positions in 90 seconds. And they were, they had this like, holy shit, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, man, that's a normal thing. So uh, the experience level is, is low on that end. But I also know the core foundation of what I'm working with. Yep. I know that they're going to be able to apply the fundamentals properly, right? They, I know that they're going to be able to shoot the rifles. We just need to get them to be very proficient with them in a short amount of time. Yeah. So, you know, for a lot of people that don't really know, uh, reconnaissance Marines are riflemen first. Um, you know, they go through the uh, 0311, uh, which is uh, 0311 is the MOS designator for riflemen. And, you know, not to dive into the weeds here, but, you know, pretty much a reconnaissance Marine before it be- goes through uh, BRC, which is basis reconnaissance course. He has to be an 0311. Uh, so he has pretty much uh, 100% training on how to manipulate a uh, um, M16, his rifle and stuff like that. So I definitely t- see that core foundation easily transferring over to what you're going to do now with them. But I think, you know, with that now getting behind a bolt action rifle is a little different because now um, their stock is a little bit more modular to where now we can, you know, take that and and mold it to their individual body mechanics. Right. Mm -hmm. That's important. And this is something that I see, uh, in the shooting community that's, that's rampant is, is not understanding how to properly set up the rifle. Yes. Um, and you know, I did a little litmus test this year. I threw out a two day circle of components clinic. And what that clinic was all about was just rifle setup, just A to Z. We're going to take two days and we're going to set this gun up. And at the end of the two days, you're going to have, a a foundation, a zero, and you're going to have a validated trajectory at distance so that you can go forward and train. But the sole purpose was just 
hey, let's get this gun set up. Let's get you familiar with it because let's face it, man, in a four-day four precision rifle 101 class, how many days do you spend um, still sorting out gear setup? It's like first two people are still oh yeah sometimes even on, sometimes uh they like the one guy sneaks by all the way to day three and then you realize that you know once you start moving on to advanced tasks it's like wow i gotta move my scope issues. or yeah you know, my my length of pulls jacked up or yep you know and so nobody zero interest totally zero interest and i was like super i, I wasn't super surprised i was <laughs> i was surprised at myself for not being surprised because everybody thinks they got that shit figured out and you don't, uh, I can't even begin to tell you how many times in classes scope mounts come loose, scope rings come loose, action screws come loose. Everything is, you know, Oh, I learned it. I learned it on the internet or, or the dude at Cabela set my gun up and, and, uh, just nobody sees the value in that. And so we're going to change that. We're, we're going to change that through some different ways. I'm excited about that too. Absolutely. So the ability to set these guns up for these guys and have the modularity is um, it's, it's pretty awesome because they, it's fantastic quality components and AX chassis and you have um, a solid action on there and they run smooth. And obviously the, the attacker is an awesome rifle scope. So they've, they're set up for success. And now we just have to get them set up with the guns so that they're comfortable and learn how to manipulate them. So what is the, what is the very first thing that you have these guys do um, when in terms of rifle setup? I'm assuming, uh, I mean, I know the first thing that we did was take the scopes off and try to figure out, okay, how, how, uh, how am I going to fit this individual just to the rifle itself? So essentially adjusting his length of pull. Mm -hmm. Um, we starting off in the prone position, you, um, will yep, we'll take the scope off and that's something that you guys should do. You should take the scope off the rifle. It's important. Um, you take the scope off. So that way you're only worried about one thing and that is feeling comfortable with the connection between your upper body. And I don't say shoulder anymore because it's not even really the shoulder. It's just the upper body. It's how the rifle connects to your upper body. Um, and get like getting the length of pull and the big telltale for me when i look for length of pull is the bend in the wrist if the wrist is like super super cranked and you know you can't when you crank your wrist that hard you you can't press the trigger consistently uh, you can't press the trigger without um manipulating other tendons to move your fingers so that's like one of the first telltales and then making sure that uh that rifle is a center as close to the neck as we can possibly get it comfortably. As you're talking about this, I'm sure the guys are like looking at their wrist right now, like, Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm bending, you know, cause that's the first thing I thought of was like, yeah, I mean, cause I'm, I'm I, that's the same thing with me. It's like, I'm looking it, with, with the hunting stocks, obviously it's, um, you know, they're fixed to what they are, but you know, when I, when I have a taller gentleman, you know, I, I it's something that I keep in mind with him, it's like, hey, we need to put longer spacers for you because look at the way as you start to grab your grip, your wrists start to essentially, I mean, your, your wrist can only flex so much. Yep. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's a definitely a great, uh, great point. Yeah, just working on also, um, I am a big proponent. If you have the ability to lift the butt pad on the chassis, I'm a huge proponent of that. Um, especially with, uh, with the three hundreds, even though they, they're, they're fairly heavy, which is funny because I pick one of these guns up and they're even, they're a far cry lighter than even a competition rifle these days. Really? Oh yeah. They're, that's a 15, eh, maybe 16 pound rifle, 17, somewhere in there. It's not that bad. You know, mm -hmm. I, mean, I carried, you know, the, the M40 A3, which was a freaking boat anchor and you put, uh, you put a Simrad on it, it's over 20 pounds. Yeah. So, um, but getting the butt pad elevated on that is, uh, I've had really, really profound results with recoil management control by just moving that butt pad up and down, yeah. and getting it, just getting it right. Because 
the the other thing that needs to be communicated is you can't just set the gun up for the prone position. Yep. You've got to set it up for all those different body angles because your head is in a different location, every different angle, you know, and we're trying to maximize the contact of that butt pad with the body to consistently absorb recoil, right? To maintain that consistent angle of jump and everything else that goes along with that. And so getting them to understand that is, I think it's not, it's not going to be that big of a deal. I don't think because they've already been exposed to it, you know, for, for at least once but it's the, the rifle setup stuff, guys, you can't, you cannot slouch on that because it's going to, you know, the guys are, we hear it all the time. Well, my kind of zero walks around every little bit. I got to add a couple tenths here or there before I start training for the day. And it's like, yeah, man, that's, that's your, your inconsistency addressing the rifle. So, um, uh, I, I think I'm going to kind of take a couple steps back here. Um, first off, uh, why, why the prone? I already know the answer to this, right? I'm being the devil's advocate. Sure. Uh, just to expand on it for our listeners. So why the prone, uh, the, the prone is always going to, uh, in, maximize your stability, uh, in any other position, right? Because you're maximizing your surface area contact to the ground, um, and, and essentially to the rifle, right. Or the, in, in the, in the rifles contact to the ground you know, with the bipods and, and the uh, rear bag, um, you know, going back to, uh, your statement about how our head changes angles. Um, that's another thing to put in perspective. Not, not a lot of people, uh, think about is, you know, when you're laying in the prone, how your head is naturally resting is essentially forward, right? So everyone that's listening, just picture it, right? When you lay down, you know, your head is naturally resting forward. And as you stand up, like in a standing position, your head is more erect, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is the further, the more erect your body becomes, in theory, the further away your eyeball gets away from the scope. Yeah. And that's, that's when you see guys like goosenecking on the rifles and canning up because, you know, they're, it's not set up because you got to give a little, in, in all of the positions. Yes. Like, and, and I think that was, you know, back in the day, we didn't shoot out of anything but the prone position, right? We all, it yep. was just always prone, 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 prone. Um, and then we went to war and we were like, yo, uh, no, we can't be doing the prone thing anymore. Like it's, it's not, it's not uh, working. So, but you, it's pervade all over the internet that you set up a good, you set up your rifle in the prone position. And yeah. yeah, you do, because that's where we learn fundamentals. That's where we learn how to actually shoot the rifle. Yep. But you also have to communicate effectively that this is, you have to set the gun up to, if I got to scoot my face just a little farther forward in the prone position to make sure that I have um, enough wiggle room in the kneeling, the standing, the seated, all those other positions, then you got to give a little to get a little. Yes. And, and, um, remember, you know, this is, this podcast is for the modern day rifleman. So the guy that's not just going to be shooting in the prone shooting really tight groups is like, no, you know, you're, you're going to find yourself in, in practical positions, you know, off a tripod or off a tree limb, you know, as a hunter, or, you know, off some kind of, uh, uh you know, tripod as a sniper looking through a, a, um, window or whatever. Right. Um, but, uh, I would say that when you're, when you're setting up your rifle, one thing to keep in mind, I think, is it's easier to adjust to a scope that, or it's more comfortable to adjust to a scope that's further away than a scope that's closer, right? Because when a scope is too close and you, what I call turtlenecking, as soon as you pull your head back because of that neck strain, the very first thing that wants to come back with your neck to, to get rid of that neck pain is your shoulder. So you didn't then lose your, your rifle to shoulder connection, I say. Mm-hmm. And it's so uh, it's, there's a lot of layers that are involved because yes. again, it's like, this is, that's the baseline connection to the rifle. Yep. Um, you know, does it, does it matter so much with a super heavy gun? Mm. No, not really. Like nope. it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, when you actually have to hold on to the rifle and, and, you know, uh, fight with it and, yep. 
it's totally different ball game. When you're talking about a 16 pound 300 wind mag with a, you know, suppressor, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's a big push. Yeah, it is. But, um, the, the chassis are adjustable, very easily adjustable. So that's going to be, um, that's going to be great being able to, uh, and also like early, like the, on the post, like what Jared, Jared was saying earlier, how nice is it to have everybody with the same gear, Yep. you know, that, that you all, you know, it's going to function, you know, it's going to work and, um, you know what to expect. And that's, that is awesome because a lot of time in classes spent screwing around with stuff like this. And, and I, and, you know, I, I hate sometimes a lot of you know students are like, Oh, I don't want to be that guy. And it's like, you know, I, I'm never, you're never going to hear me like chastise you for not having your shit 100% wired. That's just not how I'm wired. Like, I don't care, man, like show up and you're here to learn. So, and whatever happens, we're going to deal with it. So, and look, it's my job to fix this for you. That's why you came here. Yep. So let's just fix it the right way and, and move on. When I was an instructor, uh, I would always say closed mouths don't get fed. There you go. <laughs> That's very true. That's absolutely a good way to put that. Yeah. So um, uh, I was about to ask another question. Oh, I mean, it, it, it was, it's just like, I mean, when you go into a vehicle that's not yours, what are, what are the minimum three things that you adjust when you go into a vehicle that's not yours? Uh, first thing is the seat. Seat. 100%. Then the steering wheel. Steering wheel. And then the mirrors. And the mirrors. There it is. In that right. order. Yep. I've done a lot of rentals, bro. And, and, that, <laughs> and that's what we're doing here with the rifle. You know, we're adjusting our length of pull. We're adjusting our relief, adjusting our cheek, you know, cheek riser. Um, you know, uh, you know, I would say those are the big three things. Uh, and then, you know, bipod height, you know, goes, um, along, you know, depending on the shooting position you're at and the, the, the platform or, the, you know, where your target orientation's at. Um, so yeah. Um, for those that don't know, this is just a little fun fact, the, uh, standard length of pull for like a stock, if you're getting a stock, like off the shelf or whatever, is anywhere from uh, 13 and a quarter to 13 and three quarters of an inch. So the length of pull is measured from the buttstock to the trigger. Um, and again, if you're, you know, I say this pretty um, like a blanket in the sense that if you're about five, six to like five, 11, that 13 and a half, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work well for you. Um, but anywhere like over 5'11", you know, you're looking probably at like a 14. If you've, you've got a smaller frame, you're looking at something hopefully under 13. But the problem with that is, is what I've seen is... Not with many the, people make stocks that short. With the modern day mechanics that you and I talk about, the rifle stocks are too long for smaller frame shooters. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, trying to pull the scope back in the mouth you can only go so far um and then it just becomes and and then also it it becomes the uh the the length to the grip and the the shooting hand placement and all that stuff it's just it's important to get a rifle stock that fits you very well and it's like um you know when you slide into your when you slide into your seat in your pickup truck or your car and you know you like you get to that point where you're like, all right, cool. I got it. And I haven't touched it for like, I've, I've had my pickup truck for 11 years. I haven't touched shit in 11 years. So when I get behind a rifle, it just feels like home. It feels like it's supposed to be that way. And you'll know immediately whether it's not right. Like if you're still kind of fidgeting around and we do see people do that a lot. They just can, they're just kind of constantly fidgeting. And I just wish I could get a way to communicate to just let it sink in and just root yourself to the rifle, like just sink into it. And once you get there, just relax and just feel all those different reference points. And when you feel all those different reference points, hopefully that's going to build some consistency. And another thing too is, is, is you're going to refine the way your rifle's set up along the way. You know what I mean? Um, the very first time you, you set up a rifle, I mean, it's going to be hopefully in the general area, right? But uh, depending if you're, again, laying down on your belly for a long time, because that's the way you shoot or that's the way you want to shoot, you know, you're going to realize, okay, well, you know, this is set up for the prone. And then when you get into, let's say, the kneeling or set, standing or sitting and you're like, man, it's not conducive. So going back to what you talked about, like figuring out a way to set that rifle up so it's 
you know, um, conducive to all shooting positions, not just one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, really understanding the, the, the basic principles of the marksman, the fundamentals of marksmanship, you know, we talk about all the time, uh, bone sport, muscle relaxation and natural point of aim, mm-hmm. right. How to truly get your body to where it's, you know, in its most relaxed state. And then when you connect to that rifle, that rifle just becomes an extension of your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's some, you know, some mystical or stuff around surrounds that, but it's really just, it's like, um, it's like teaching somebody how to shoot a handgun in the sense that they, that handgun has to fit their hand. And you see this a lot with female shooters and handguns. They, I mean, I'm not a pistol arrow. Um, I can, I can shoot a handgun, but when you see, uh, women that are that have smaller hands and they're trying to grip a handgun shooting a handgun well is all about how much grip surface area that you can have on the handgun to control the recoil and to hold it still while you press the trigger and um you can't have one without the other with a handgun right so you can't um if you lightly grip the handgun you're not going to be able to recover from recoil and if you grip the handgun way too hard you're going to be shaking the sights too much. So it's kind of a happy balance. But when you have a handgun that doesn't fit a lady very well and they struggle shooting it, but then if you hand them a really small frame handgun, like a, a single stack pistol that they can actually get their fingers around and hold on to it, they shoot far better that way. And it's like, no kidding, man. It just has to fit you well. Yep. Same thing with a rifle stock. It has to just fit you well. And what works for me doesn't work for you. And what works for you doesn't work for everybody else. Have you ever tried driving someone else's car without, and you don't want to mess up their, uh, their like uh, configuration. Yeah. So you're yeah, just like, like <laughs> trying to figure out how to drive that, that way. It's like, I do it in my mom's car all the time because I'm like, yeah, I your off. mom's <laughs> tiny too. It's like, yeah. it's like me and Cass's truck. I get in there and I'm just like, Oh, like this. <laughs> and it feels funky and uh it's it's and it's horrible when you're trying to get somebody to actually apply fine motor skills yep consistently over and over and over again yeah. while they're still freaking focusing on something ridiculous what what i'll say this i, I say with someone that again when you're driving right someone that has a lot of driving experiences uh, driving experience will learn to adapt to that you know if he doesn't want to change if they don't want to change the settings of that vehicle. Right. Mm-hmm. But imagine a, a new driver. Yeah. Are you going to let them dri- drive the hell no. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something to keep in mind. Like, you know, when I jump on a student's rifle and if I, I don't have time because, you know, I don't have time to, um, you know, move it to adjust it to me. I'm just like, okay, well, let me try to figure out how I can configure my body to get behind this rifle. Obviously, cause I have a lot of years of experience, but it's not, something that is ideal you know what i mean so mm-hmm. i some a lot of times people can't shoot my rifles yeah i've got it set up my cheek riser is too high for them and and the you know the yeah. they don't like the can't in my butt pad i can't my butt pad too and it just is what it is man it is what it is so the other part of this from the rifle setup standpoint is these are 100% brand new guns. And so this is going to be a good opportunity to teach these guys. Um, what is the, what are the myths of barrel break in and what is, uh, what's actual, what's real Mm -hmm. and how it all works. So, uh, I remember, um, that, you know, it was like everybody, was super scared of the voodoo surrounding a new barrel. And now we go through so many barrels a year. It's just like, whatever, man, it's just a barrel. Um, and so when you are that nonchalant about that process to other people that, um, are still of an old train of thought, it's that scares the shit out of them. They're like, yes, 100%. What, what, what are you no, that's not the way that's supposed to be. Yeah. We, we have to clean those things. Um, and I obviously like you, yes, you do have to clean eventually, but not nearly as much as what was once shoved down our throats and uh, believe it or not in the law enforcement community, it's still getting shoved down their throats, which is like, it's just bananas. Um, it's going to be great to take them through the process so that they can see exactly how it's supposed to go. 
Um, and of course, I know that's like, I should probably re redact that in the sense that like, look, my way is not just the only way. Yeah. Um, there are a bunch of different ways out there, but uh, I'm just glad to be able to take this experience and show them through, through what I've seen in terms of, Hey, this is what you do with a brand new barrel. And this is how you shoot it. Once you get done with a uh, rifle or length of pull setup, um, how do you, uh, how do you have these guys mount the scope? So they're in LaRue mounts. Um, yeah. and so the, uh, the LaRue mounts allow them the ability to adjust eye relief because it's a monolithic rail on the, on the AX, which is nice. So um, they're shooting the attacker five to 25s, which have um, a generous eye box and they have really, really sharp focus. So getting those scopes set up for them should be pretty simple and straightforward. The eye relief issue, the, so what I do with eye relief is <clears throat> I first get uh, the a rough estimate of the cheek piece height, just get it close. So that way they're not having to like totally float their head, but they have a reference point. And then um, we just, you, you put the scope on maximum magnification. That's super crucial uh, because that is the smallest exit pupil that you'll get, which in turn is going to be the smallest, most unforgiving eye box. And so then we just, we'll pull the scopes back and forth until they have optimal eye relief. And then we will check that eye relief in all four positions, uh, in all four body positions rather because we want to make sure that we don't have a surprise when you got to get into a position. And then the other consideration with these guys being military snipers, they're going to have to wear gear. They're going to have to yep. wear plate carriers and rucksacks and all the other stuff that you have to have on your body to fight and survive. Uh, which is, you know, it's a good point to talk about, um, you know, for, I would say hunters, right. That are late season hunters, you know, uh, what's a lot of times, uh, training out here, gun works. Um, you know, a lot of our training and Cody is during the summer times, right. And so we're all just wearing t-shirts and whatever. Um, well, a lot of the big game hunts that these guys are going on are late season hunts and you know, what do they have to put on layers? Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, you know, one thing to keep in mind, is like, if you know that you're going on a late season hunt, I would definitely recommend putting the layers on that you're going to be wearing and then making sure that that scope is still in, you know, that, that eye box. Um, and for those that don't know, um, the eye box is a, it's like a, what I call a three-dimensional box. Um, and like Kellen described is you want to put on max magnification because that box is the smallest at the highest magnification so that when obviously you progress with long range shooting and stuff like that, you know, we teach as instructors, I teach my guys to back up on their magnification because, uh, more magnification is not, is not your friend. Magnification is not your friend in general. Mm -hmm. Um, so understanding that when you get outside of that, uh, eye box, that's when you start to see what we call scope shadow and you start having side alignment errors and stuff like that. Once you start, you know, uh, moving your eyeball, uh, too high above this, uh, eye box or too low or too left or too right. Um, that's where we start running into side alignment issues. So, um, yeah. So the, the eye relief thing will get squared away and then we will adjust for uh, reticle focus first, and then we will have a conversation about parallax and make sure that, um, what I do to induce, to show parallax is I will actually induce parallax with a spotting scope at a target at a hundred yards and have students kind of filter through the spotting scopes and say, all right, so look, check it out. This is what parallax looks like. And so that's what I want you to observe in your rifle scope. And they just do a little trial and error and get their parallax dialed as close as they can to being completely out of the system. And then we'll zero, um, we'll get them zeroed up. And I don't want to burn too much ammo because we don't have a lot of ammo. So um, just back to that, I, we didn't actually cover that, the ammo situation. Um, I have 300 rounds per shooter for five days of training, or I'm sorry, four days of training. So um, not a lot to work with, but at the same time, I'm actually kind of, uh, I actually kind of welcome the challenge, so to speak, because I want to see, you know, how we can manipulate the curriculum and slow things down 
uh, to get them to retain it. I just don't want them to shoot. I want them to be able to retain it. Um, talk, talk us through, uh, take us down memory lane of and this is just a depreciation to how much uh, the advances of technology has helped long range shooting, but take us to how you used to adjust parallax on that urinal. Oh my God. Oh my God. So for the longest time, I never even understood it because I don't think that my instructors even knew what the fuck was going on with that thing. Um, so to adjust parallax on the Unertle, it was a one-time parallax setting. And so <clears throat> you had a spanner wrench, which you used to unlock <laughs> the objective focus lock ring. And you had, you unlocked it and you had to uh, loosen it and pull it all the way out to its max stop. And then what you would do is you'd screw the lens in three or four turns, have your student check parallax. Like you'd let this, you'd let the target come into focus. And we did this at 300 yards. This was according to the fucking manual. So <laughs> I can't believe I fucking qualified with this shit. It's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, you pull that out and what that would do pull the lens all the way out into the housing. So now when you threaded or screwed it back into the housing, you're pulling the lens backwards, bringing the target into focus. And so you, you, you don't know how many times students would go past it. Then you got to freaking unscrew it, pull it back out again. It's just, it was a complete pain in the ass. And so you really had to, I guarantee none of us had a parallax free rifle scope, even at 300 yards, because none of us knew what we were doing <laughs> pretty much. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. So the Unertle guys was the, uh, um, one of the, I shouldn't say the original, uh, the sniper scope that was on top of the, uh, M40 series rifle, but, uh, when did, when did it, uh, the Unertle come out? I want to say eighties, uh, early eighties. Yeah. Yeah. So that from the eighties until maybe, uh, mid two thousands, uh, 2005, 2004, it was 2005, 2005, uh, yeah. you know, that, that rifle scope was the rifle scope for Marine Corps scout snipers. So that thing was in service for over 20 years. You know what I mean? It and was then, one of the first scopes to ever have uh, a BDC. Yep. And it was specifically made for the requirements of the Marine Corps with that particular BDC design. Um, BDC stands for uh, I'm sorry. Bullet, bullet Drop Compensator. Bullet Drop Compensator. And so what that means is if I wanted to shoot at a target at 700 yards, I just dialed the big knob, the course elevation to seven, and you had um, half-minute increments of fine-tune elevation adjustment. And so it was a nightmare. It was a fucking nightmare. Um, cause sometimes it depended on like what lot of ammo you had. Um, you could shoot uh, a 700 yard target with eight, uh, eight course and three down, <laughs> or you could have one gun that. that would shoot at seven, um, with, you know, two and a half up or some crazy shit like that. And, and you just start, I look at that back then and I'm like, man, how did we do it? How did we figure it out? But you just did, you just figured it out. And the crazy thing was none of those scopes uh, or very few of those scopes were consistent from scope to scope to scope. Yeah. At least now I know that, you know, with these, with an attacker or even the premieres or the loopholes or anything out there, I know that each one of them is going to come up 10 mils. You know what I'm saying? Whereas yep. with the old Unertles, oh man, you didn't know what the hell that thing was going to do. It was just bizarre. When I start, when I learned about a tall target test and we started doing tall target tests, it was unbelievable. The, the amount of discrepancy in those scopes. I know I'm bouncing back uh, with, uh, with you, Kalen, my bad, but uh, for, for our listeners uh, just real quick uh, reviewing um, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're probably a newer shooter and you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm getting my rifle set up and you know, we're talking, you know, these term terminology like diopter focus and parallax, just a real quick, uh, for you essay for you guys, diopter focus, what that does, it's, it's right, uh, in the very beginning of that ocular lens, there should be a ring that's adjustable. Um, and that, what that's going to do is if, if you have a reticle inside of your optic, which hopefully you do, because we're talking about a long range shooting, 
um, that diopter focus is going to focus that reticle to your individual eyeball. Um, and then what the parallax does, uh, parallax is going to focus the uh, image of the target uh, to your eye or to the scope. All right. And to put it in layman's terms. So you've got your diopter focus to adjust the reticle. Once you set that, I call it, you set it and forget it. And then your parallax, if you do have a parallax knob, um, your parallax is something that has to be adjusted uh, depending on the range that you're shooting at. Yeah, the that's again, it's one of those things that a lot of people look at and say, well, I think I know what parallax is. And then you realize that the majority of the time you don't have parallax dialed out of your system. Yep. And that uh, especially you see that a lot at 100 yards. You yep. know, people um, shoot super tight groups one day and then the next day they come, they're not shooting that tight, not shooting, you know, uh, nearly as tight as they were. And then it can be parallax. It can be the image of the target because if you have parallax induced into that system, the reticle is going to be in a different spot every time you press the trigger and it will, it'll be virtually impossible to maintain consistency or as much consistency as you could with parallax dialed out of the system. So something to keep in mind, food for thought. So yeah, man, tomorrow we'll get, uh, we'll get guns zeroed up and go get them validated. We got a bunch of steel out and start playing in the wind because it's Idaho and it's windy and it's awesome. Two last questions I have for you for, for setup um, is it's something I want to bring to light. Cause again, I don't really know the answer uh, to this question, but uh, let's talk torque settings uh, for your, okay. for your, let's say your law enforcement or your civilian uh, courses. Um, I know I don't teach it at, uh, at, at these classes, the hunters, cause it's, I mean, it's already, a, it's one of those things that if they have an issue with the rifle, they're just sending it back to gunworks. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously for our listeners, we want you to, if you own a rifle, you should be able to take it apart and put it back together again. Oh man. And that, that is a mindset of being a modern day rifleman, right? Modern day sniper. So, um, what are, what are some of the torques that, or what do you go over as far as that with your, with your students? So it's, it's bizarre because, um, I sometimes forget dealing with, with military now that like a lot of that maintenance is illegal maintenance for them. They yep. cannot, they can't, they can't touch the, the action screws. Um, they can't move the scope around in the mounts. They have to take for granted that all that stuff was set up properly for them. And the same thing holds true for, for many law enforcement snipers. And so um, action screws with chassis, um, this doesn't happen with all of them, but it can behoove you to tune your chassis to your action screw torque spec. I have seen actions um, and chassis combinations that will benefit from uh, a certain torque spec when it comes to accuracy. So that's something that you can do, but typically speaking with chassis systems, um, you know, tight, tight works. Um, I'm not super particular about that unless you do the test and figure it out. Um, cause I, I, I learned a lot of this in helping Magpul with the development of the Hunter 700 stock and then the, the 700 pro. So it was like, okay, we're going to dig into this and we're going to see what it's all about as we produce a chassis system. So torque specs, I definitely do teach them. And I, and I'm like, Hey, have you guys ever had action screws come loose while you're shooting? And like half the class is like, yeah, I've actually had that happen. I'm like, but yeah, you can't fix it because you don't know how to turn a wrench. Are you fucking kidding me? So that, that part is super annoying. And, um, I, uh, I detest the fact that they are not allowed to manipulate like even the bolt, like they can't take apart their bolt. So you're in the field for a week and you can't take apart your bolt. That's ridiculous. So, um, the, the rest of that, when it comes to the action screw torque settings, I give them like, Hey, the rough, the rough idea is 65 inch pounds. That's what so, I do with all my, all my rifles, my KRD chassis, 65 inch pounds. And, but yeah, that's a, that's a, just always a good, you know, blanket number I start with. Yep. So just tell them that. And then also the top ring, the top caps and the scope caps, uh, the 25 inch pounds on those LaRue's. And then we talk about obviously like, Hey, 
um, you have to get those LaRue mounts tight, tight. Yep. Super tight. Uh, not my favorite mount in the world, but it is what it is. That's what they have. So that's what they're going to learn how to use. Um, if you guys are sending your rifles up for the first time, you know, uh, definitely look at your manual uh, of, of the, uh, of, you know, the manufacturer that you bought, you know, and, and they tell you to, you know, stick within those torque settings. Um, I've used a fat wrench, which is a yellow wrench, get it on Amazon. Uh, but uh, the kit that I use now religiously is the fix it sticks. And that's not a, that's not even trying to be a plug or anything. I mean, that's oh, the only thing that I, that I carry with me. And I, I take my gun apart, all my guns apart with that thing. Yeah. The plus two for the fix it sticks, man. Um, I used, uh, I used the Borka kit for a while and, you know, fix it. It's just like been able to streamline that process. And, and it's just, uh, they did a really good job with their tool kits. Um, if you're listening to this and you're an uh, active duty guy, um, it'd behoove you to, uh, you know, kind of YouTube, you know, putting a rifle together and, and taking it apart. You know, one thing that um, looking back, I don't really regret, but I wish I, I knew when I was uh, serving um, in a sniper billet before I was an instructor was uh, being able uh, uh, I'm not saying you, you should do this, but knowing how to take your rifle apart and put it back together. Yeah. That's pretty um, important stuff. Man. You know, like, um, and you know, uh, compromise is failure. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you should, you should know how to, uh, you know, take the rings, take the scope out of the rings, put it back together, uh, and zero the rifle, um, without having to worry about your armor, because guess what? Your armor doesn't give a shit about your rifles. Nope. I don't. The, uh, the, the funny thing is, man, it's, you, you look at that stuff and you trust these, these people with this enormous responsibility, enormous, but yet you can't adjust a screw on a rifle stock. That's like some back ass words thinking right there. So, um, yeah, that stuff is the having a toolkit and being able to um, do what you need to do. Uh, again, aside from the bolt, the, the trigger. But I, before I, I don't want to like you know how important it is to maintain a trigger, um, especially with Remington seven hundred style triggers. They need to be maintained well. Trigger text triggers are awesome. I've never had issues with them, but I still maintain them, still clean them regularly because. Okay that's a pretty important part of the rifle. But again, that's that, that level of maintenance for the Marines is unauthorized, which is a huge bummer, but, um, we still tell them how to do it. So yeah, man, well, you said you had one more, what, what, uh, what other setup questions did you have? No, I think that's it. So, you know, uh, just covering down. Okay. So we, we covered on length of pull, mm -hmm. uh, you know, cheek weld cover down on kind of setting that rifle scope up, uh, towards a higher relief. And then uh, torque settings, and I would say uh, the last thing that I leave you with, again, if you're if you're setting your rifle up for the first time, uh, if you're listening to this, because honestly, I get a lot of questions on my Instagrams like, "Hey, I'm, I'm looking to build a rifle or get a rifle set up." Um, you know, so if this is one of the first podcasts you're listening to, and you don't even have a rifle, and you're like, "Oh, you know, you're writing this stuff down." Uh, once you mount your scope and and stuff like that, there's a lot of great YouTube videos out there that show you how to do that. Right, guys. Um, but uh, I would highly recommend you um, bore sight your scope first before sending rounds down range. That was that was what was going to be the second one, wasn't it? The bore yeah. sighting. So, oh. <laughs> so what bore sighting is is you're going to keep your rifle as still as possible. You're going to pull your bolt out, and you're going to line your bore up with something big and identifiable at about a hundred yards, and then you're going to when you get that all set up, then you're going to look through your scope without touching your rifle and you're going to see where your scope lands. And then you're going to figure out by adjusting your dials on how to get that reticle to match up as close as you can to where your bore is kind of looking at. Did, did I get that right? Yep. I'll give you a hint. It's all backwards. All yeah, the it's, all backwards. All, it's all backwards. Your dials are backwards. Um, yeah. If you want to move down, you need to dial up. Yeah. That's yeah. another, it's a, 
people look at that as the most bizarre concept. <laughs> when you're like, you get a zero your rifle, and they actually think that they're moving the rifle. It's like you're you're moving the scope to correspond with where the rifle is sending bullets. Yep. And that's exactly what you're doing. And people still sometimes have the hardest time wrapping their brain around that. They're like, what? What are you talking about? Like, no, we're not. Dude, I've seen people burn like a box of ammo just trying to figure <laughs> out. We had a guy in my platoon, fucking Larry Two Box, man. Think of two boxes to get zeroed every time. <laughs> how, how many? Uh, how many rounds um, does it take a pig? To, how many rounds does it take a pig? Does it? Wait, how many rounds does it take? How many rounds does it take a pig to zero? Is that right? I have no. I, this must have been your time. I don't know. As many rounds as you give them. Oh yeah, no shit. That's perfect. Perfect. So, so for 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 guys, I know we we talk about it in our second and third podcast. Uh, you know, Kayla and I refer to the acronym "pig and hog" a lot, and I think this is probably the first time we will we'll say the acronym out loud. But uh, what "pig" stands for is a uh, professionally instructed gunman, and then "hog" is hunter of gunmen. So, you know, pretty much what happens is when you join the cyber community until you actually go to school and graduate, um, you are a pig. And then once you uh, graduate from cyber school, a legit cyber school, not um, some battalion ran course one, sorry guys, um, you become a hunter of gunmen. Uh, so yeah, that's Otherwise the evolution. As, as a savage. Yeah. So... Cool. Yeah. Right on, man. Um, well, we're coming up on, we're a little bit over an hour, which is, which is cool. Um, so a couple of things throw out, um, first and foremost, thank you guys all for the listening to the podcast, man. I, I like the amount of support and the amount of following and, and downloads has been amazing. And so thank you so much for that. We appreciate it. And that's why, like, that's why we do what we do. It's, it's, you know, it's important to us. So that is badass. So this is uh, episode four. And then, so we were talking earlier in the podcast about that circle of components clinic, and I'm going to drop a bomb. We are going to be releasing an online training platform. And that litmus test was to gauge interest of, uh, you know, people's willingness to attend an in-person circular components clinic and we're going to put it online and we're going to take, this is going to be a, uh, a no kidding, uh, online correspondence based package. So, uh, I'm excited about it. It's going to be, uh, a unique approach to, to online training. And so it's going to be good to go in terms of the first, the first foray into it with the circle and components. And I'm excited about it. So be looking for that coming up here in the future. Yeah, man. I, I, I can't, uh, I can't thank everyone enough. Um, you know, for everyone just to, to gauge on where, what time frame this uh, podcast is. I just got back from uh, Texas, uh, shot the uh, best in Texas um, PRS match. And I mean, the amount of people that came up to me and, and thanked me for uh, the podcast and, you know, all the content that Ken and I've been pushing out there. It's like, um, I, I definitely appreciate it, but it's like, it's, it's like, it, it's, it, it feels as weird to me as when someone would thank me for my service, just because like, I enjoy doing it. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I enjoy doing these podcasts with you, Kalen. I mean, even before we did this, we were having an hour conversation while we were both cooking dinner mm-hmm. about what the hell we were going to talk about. And yeah. we got into some deep shit. I was like, dude, did you already hit record? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it happens. Um, That's and, the uh, best way. Yeah. It's, and it's the best way. You no, know, uh, unfortunately we didn't because you could just hear like us cooking bacon grease and shit <laughs> in the background crackling. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, no, it's, you know, I definitely thoroughly enjoy this. I enjoy the, uh, the feedback and, um, you know, the, the, I would say the only way that you can repay us is just by taking this information and, and, uh, um, you know, applying it yourself, right. That's the, that's, that's honestly the best way you could thank us is by just not having this, you know, go one year or the other. It's just actually applying it, uh, to, you know, whatever craft that you're, uh, you're taking this on and, uh, you know, hopefully recommending a, a friend or two to, to, to the, the podcast. So, yeah, the, um, the podcast is a, is a huge deal because we just like to be able to connect with you guys. Um, it's, uh, 
that's one of the reasons I listen to podcasts. Like it's like, you're just listening to somebody have a conversation. So, um, and, uh, other than that, man, we are going to get zeroed up tomorrow. We're going to have some fun over the next few days. And, uh, Oh, also guys expect some short form podcasts to come out like things like 15 minute, 10, 15 minute segments on how to's or, um, I think that's a great opportunity to do some question and answer stuff that people have. I got a couple of good questions this week that I'd like to answer. So, yeah, I was just playing around with the, uh, the voice record on my, uh, on my MacBook here. And I was like, man, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, But I'll definitely do some Q and A's from, you know, a lot of guys hit me up on Instagram. I've got, uh, like 28, like guys, my, my, my inbox gets flooded and I can't get to all of them, you know? Uh, but I would like to get to, you know, typical frequently asked questions and just kind of put it all out there. Cause I'd rather just say it and type it cause it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's way easier. Yeah. Way easier. So, yeah, I can't stand being, I can't stand being on that stuff. It's, it's like, I get, I get it that that's where, where, you know, people are communicating these days. Um, but man, I look at the like screen time on my phone and I'm like, yo, that's way too much. I need to get out of here. I need to get yeah. out so um doing this is going to be a better way for us to connect with you so um yeah man so we're going to do some shooting tomorrow expect to see some some stuff posted up and uh right on well thanks for listening guys thanks for listening guys keep your face on the gun right on